for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blasey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 52. And today is Monday, again, and it starts another work week. You know, the last two weeks for me, anyway, have been a very (laughs) busy two weeks at work, and you know, we've been talking about it a little bit, and it's just like it's editing season right now, so it's grinding. You know, the weather's cold still, and and we're starting to get a warm stretch here, and we can get outside a little bit. But uh, cabin fever is is in full effect, and uh, sitting behind a desk is is not the not the greatest. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you, man. It's I just had my first episode go out for uh, Turkey Roost for Cabela's Cabela's show this year my first project when i moved to iowa last year and it's season two and it's my project again so it's kind of nice to have a little consistency there but uh breaks over man it's it's back to the grind now so for sure grind it out behind the computer oh yeah put put on a couple lbs and you know (laughs) the winter weight (laughs) and try to work it off for the for the beach bod you know i don't know man ever ever since that ever since the joel burham podcast you know it's uh I started the gym routine uh, the next day after talking to Joel, and it was like a, I don't know, man, it's, it's kind of sticking. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's part of the routine. I'm waking up earlier, I'm eating better and drinking lots of water, I feel good, and I'm picking up heavier weights every week, so it, I don't know, something's working. Well, I'm, I'm glad one of us is doing it because I'm sure as hell not. I need some. <laughs> I need some more Joel in my in my life. We should probably get him back on the phone and have another BS session to give me a little more, I, a little more. I think it's uh, a T-shirt, man. 
Is I it? ordered a T-shirt that night. Yeah, we we were on the phone. I was ordering a T-shirt while we were talking to him, and <laughs> I uh, came in the mail, and you know, I, I actually wore it out uh, downtown the night of the, the Deer Classic, and some people were like, "That's an awesome shirt, man." Like others were like, "Hey, douchebag, let me get a picture of you." I was like, "Yeah, screw you." <laughs> I'm I'm definitely gonna order a shirt then if that's all it takes for me to get my ass running know, or, or get back in the gym or something. It's definitely uh, not to go campaigns about it, but it's mental, man. You just gotta say enough's enough and, and start, and yep. then deal with the deal with the hurt and deal with the the change. <laughs> it's it's definitely hard to get st- to start again. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean I'm, I'm no I'm no fitness guru by any means, but. Uh, I will say, once you start feeling the effects of it, it's hard to, it's hard to walk away. Yeah. Well, I'm for sure definitely going to be. It's all mental, like you said, and it's just laziness for me right now. And I just need to get off my ass and just be active and just do better with myself. And it's my health. I got to make it better. <laughs> but enough of the health talk. Today, yeah, we have <laughs> another fellow Michigander on, and I'm excited about it. Alex Nadalski and. He's got a pretty cool, unique story. He does a lot of hunting in in Ohio, and he really got after it this year. Lost a lease, picked up a lease late, and was really to, really able to figure it out in a short period of time to be able to you know get a deer down. That was really cool story. How it all unfolded. Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, when you you sent me his info the other day, and I got looking at him on Instagram, and they've got some really cool stuff. It's you know the videos are on Instagram. You know, at the one minute mark there, like they they limit, but uh, they got stuff going on YouTube, and uh, it's called the Rise, uh, the Rise underscore Hunt on Instagram, and I mean they they're doing pretty decent, man. They got ten thousand followers and let's see seven hundred posts. I mean that's 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 pretty good number of followers. I mean seven hundred doesn't seem like a whole lot for someone who's got ten thousand followers, but that's just a testament to the quality of their stuff and I guess relatability really. We talked about it last week from what you said about them, you know, before before we recorded. Uh, just knew it was going to be a good one. Yeah. You know, and we're going to keep this intro shorter today and you know, with that I think we should probably get them on here and you know, before we do transition though, got to get the commercial out there for America's best bow strings. They're they're oh, awesome yeah. strings. You and I both shoot them. They're great. Uh right now yep. we're running a deal and it's you know promo code so if you guys you know want some new strings and cables you know go to their website americasbestbowstrings.com or give them a call and order your strings and you know t- at, at checkout type in fall podcast to get ten dollars off orders 99 dollars and over so tell them that uh, the guys at fall podcast sent you and uh enough of the commercials let's get to this interview all right, welcome back. And on the phone with Justin and I today is Alex Nadolski. Alex, how you doing, man? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing good. good. We are doing good, you know. And Alex, you're you're in Michigan here, right? You're just a little farther south than me. Yes, I'm about 45 minutes northeast of Detroit. Okay, so yeah, you're you're a little farther south than me. And how was your weather today? <laughs> uh it was nice and warm, but it was super windy, and we had a lot of rain. Yeah, I think you guys got hammered with more rain than we did. We we had a lot. We had quite a quite a bit of rain, but I mean, we we got up to like sixty one degrees finally today. Yeah, it was nice. Yep, all the snow is basically just about gone. So I'm I'm excited about that. But you know, we're only in March, so we're gonna have another we're gonna have another snowstorm here soon. So 
if not two. Exactly. Well, cool, man. You know, before we get started, can you kind of just, I know, introduce yourself and, you know, let us know what you do for a living and, you know, where you grew up? Yep. My name is Al Sadalski. Uh, I'm 30 years old. I should be 31 in about two weeks here. Um, born and raised in Michigan, about, like I said, 45 minutes northeast of Detroit. Um, I work at Amrock. I'm in uh, the commercial side. We do commercial title insurance. Um, been bow hunting since I was 12 years old, which at that time was the earliest I could bow hunt and been hunting ever since then. Sweet, man. I mean, growing up, were you pretty ingrained with bow hunting? I mean, was it your dad that kind of got you into it and was he your mentor? Was it always something that, you know, your family did? Yeah, most of my family does hunt. Um, my dad does, all my cousins do. Um, the weirdest thing was I really never wanted to hunt until I was uh, 11 years old and I was walking home from school one day and I had a bunch of deer by my house and kind of like, I don't know, flipped the switch on me and I was like, dad, I want to hunt. So he took me out, uh, when I was 11, put me in a tree stand just to watch some deer. And I think I saw like nine that day and I've been hooked ever since then. Really? So, I mean, were you guys more like the Michigan tradition, like deer camp, you know, rifle season, you know, the camaraderie, was that more you guys as well? Um, we definitely had a deer camp tradition. We had 20 acres up in the thumb in Michigan and had a little camper on it. Uh, we weren't really huge on the whole gun hunting, like opening day tradition, uh, just more hunting in general and bow hunting. Like pretty much every weekend we went up there and hunted together. Yep. So is that is that where you grew up hunting then on that 20 acres or did you have any property around you? Um, I really grew up hunting there until I was about 18, and then I started hunting with my cousins a lot more up in uh, Gladwin County, Michigan, so I've hunted up there since, like I said, 18, so probably about 12 years now. Okay. Yeah, Gladwin's, I mean, just north of me. Basically, if I, I'm i like 20 minutes from Gladwin, well, maybe maybe a little farther than that, but not far, so. Well, cool, yeah. I mean, today I, w- I wanted to talk a lot about uh, your your story that you had last year with your Ohio trip (laughs) and uh, (laughs) kind of get into what happened there and, you know, and really kind of let everybody know what you went through. And, you know, you and I talked the other day uh, on a, on a kind of a call where we just kind of got to know each other for a little bit and kind of give the cliff notes version to me. But, you know, from roundabout way, you you know, you had a, a lease in Ohio and you lost it and you acquired another one and you know, never really set foot on the ground, but then went in there and, and was successful, like one of the first times in. So I'd really like to dive into the details of all that and and kind of how you went about it. So you know, kind of make maybe we'll start from you know the lease that you lost. Like, how did you end up losing that lease, and what made you want to acquire another one down in Ohio? Uh, that lease was actually it was in Athens County, and I actually decided to walk away from it. I had it for four years and I actually had two more years on the contract, but um, the guys I was leasing with, it just kind of really wasn't working out for me anymore. So I decided to walk away from it and they were very nice and let me out. So I just kind of started searching and I really didn't know I was going to get out of the lease until I think it was like August. So we're, we're getting real close to the season. So for most of the summer and spring, I had public land scouted out as a backup plan in case things didn't work out. Um, but they did. So I found out I was out of the lease in August. And from then on, I really just started searching the internet, all different, um, leasing websites, Craigslist, anything, just Googling Ohio leases pretty much. Um, and I got super lucky two weeks before opening day of Ohio's archery season, I was able to find a lease online, 
I called the owner on my way home from work. We talked for about an hour. Things sounded good. I actually sent him a deposit the next day in the mail to hold it for me. And then he actually called me the day after and he had a bunch more people that wanted it. So I ended up having to drive back home and send him the rest of the money before I even saw the property or got to meet the guy in person. I just did a lot of research online on Onyx, on Google Maps. So I felt pretty confident with it, but I knew I had to do something quick. So I pretty much threw the money and the next weekend I went down there and checked it out. Um, It's a 110 acre lease probably half woods, half open grassy fields with some alfalfa. Um, so basically just ran down there, blitz scouted it, kind of just walked a lot of the edges, saw where the runs were coming up out of the ridges, um, got some ha- uh, cameras hung and minerals out. And then I went back down on opening day of Ohio's archery season. Um, it was too warm to hunt. It was like 80 degrees. So I ended up just checking the trail cameras, kind of moving a couple around, getting some stands hung for when I was going to head back in late October. And then made one more trip in October. Same thing. The weather wasn't too great, but I got to kind of sit and observe from a couple stands for a morning and evening hunt. And then, again, kind of got a couple more cameras out. The scrapes were starting to pop up in late October, so moved the cameras from minerals to scrapes. And then went down for our rut vacation for, I think I was down there for like eight days or something like that. Okay. So I want to go back a little bit. So back in, you know, in October or just before October and September, you you got the lease. And, you know, you said you put out cameras and everything. Were you getting bucks on camera that were, you know, pretty promising that you knew it was going to be a pretty good year? Or was it more of like a, like a, oh boy, what did I get myself into? I paid all this money for this lease and I don't know if I'm going to have a deer to hunt. Honestly, after the first two weeks I went down to pull cards for the first time, I don't think I had a deer older than two and a half on camera. And I was starting to kind of freak out a little bit. But at the same time, I've hunted Ohio in a similar area for my fifth year. Um, I knew that that time of mid-September to mid-October, they're really lethargic. They don't really move too great. I've always kind of struggled to get shooter bucks on camera at that time. So I had that in the back of my mind, too, and then when we went back down uh, in October, uh, I started to have some shooters pop up, so that made me feel a lot better. Now, did you have a lot of food on the property? Was there any, you know, was there any food plots that you had or that somebody, you know, the landowner before had, or was it just basically, like you said, some woods and and some grass fields? Uh, It was mainly that. The landowner was super nice. Um, When we leased it, he did disc up uh, about a quarter acre area for us to plant so the first time went down through some throw and grow down and i knew i had rain coming i got about an inch and a half of rain two days later so we're pretty confident that it would pack it down and honestly it came up pretty good it's not the way i like to do things but in a pinch it works out pretty decently right yeah your back was kind of against the wall so you had to do whatever you could do are you so i kind of want to get into before we get to the november rut hunt I want to get into like what what type of hunter, you know, a bow hunter are you? Are you uh, like a, a hang and bang guy, like a run and gun kind of guy? Or do you like to, to set, you know, set stands and leave them up and then adjust accordingly to the movement? Like where does that fall into place with your, you know, your hunting style? I like to have a, a couple stands up, something you can easily get into. I do film my hunts as well. So, you know, with all the camera here, hanging hunts are kind of tough, but I also do this. I have a, a really light millennium tree stand that I have uh, quick rapid rails too. So I do during the rut is really when I'll hang and bang a lot. 
Um, but okay. I do have some stands up to that property. Like I said, I kind of had a lot on the edges, just kind of observatory stands. Um, and then, yeah, once November hit, kind of started to pile in a little bit harder. What uh, what Millennium stand do you have? Is the Microlite 7? Yep, I got two of them, and they're amazing. <laughs> so that's funny you say that. I have a Microlite. I'm looking at it right now. I got it this year. Haven't you know? I haven't done much hang and bang kind of hunts, but uh, I, that's what I'm going to do this year on some hunts and be able to be a little mobile. Uh, I'm interested to pick your brain about that, maybe on a on a different phone call or something. But I'm interested because that stands only what like seven or eight pounds. It's really light and you know it's smaller, but it's comfortable because the seats are about the best seats out there probably for comfort. And you know Millennium makes a pretty good stand as well. So. That's cool that uh, you got those. And do they make it pretty pretty easy to get around and do a hanging hunt then? Oh, yeah. They have the cam locks on them with the ratchet straps. And I probably have like six of those. So I have those hung out everywhere. So I can also just kind of run in and drop the stand in and hunt it. Or I can do the whole setup at once. But, yeah, they're super easy to hang. They're so light you can honestly hold them in your teeth by the backpack straps when you're flipping around yourself to lock them in. They're the best tree stand I've ever used. <laughs> That's cool. So coming into October, you said you started getting some shooter bucks. Uh, was there any deer that you like really picked out and you're like, I want to go after him, or it was just one of those things like I'm gonna kind of take what I can get and you know go roll with the punches just because you know, was, like you said, you're in a pinch and you and you got this farm late. Uh, there was two shooters. One I did really like. We nicknamed him Soldier. He was just pretty much a big mainframe eight pointer good at least four-year-old deer and he was just a beast he kind of ran the farm he would get during the rut he would be on like nine of 11 cameras he was just all over the place i actually saw him the morning before i killed mine um the buck that i ended up shooting i didn't get pictured of him until november the 4th so i really had no idea who he was until a couple days before okay now what is your criteria like what are you trying to trying to aim for is it like an age thing or is it just kind of whatever buck makes you happy and you know, and you get excited about, is that the one you're going to take? Uh, I really try to go by age. Um, four and a half is minimum. I'm trying to look for something a little older, closer to five and a half. Uh, like I said, I've been hunting Ohio for years. I've been able to watch some really good deer grow up and the jump they can make from three to four and four to five is just huge. So I really try to let them get to there. Really don't care what the rack looks like as long as they're just a big old mature buck. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of like the same way with Justin and I. I mean, Justin killed a, a stud of an Iowa deer this year. I mean, did you get the age back on that yet, Justin? Not yet. I'm checking my email every day. Like, I, I have the <laughs> I have the kit right here, the packet, with all the info that I, I sent in with it. And um, I was actually just reminiscing today. I went through all the raw photos and actually looking for some stuff to send to Bryant for that, for that print ad next yep. month's issue of uh archery trade but man i just i started doubting myself like after i after it's kind of worn off it's like yeah was he really that old like is he as old as i thought he was and then i look at pictures again and i was like hell yeah he is like he's there's no way he's less than six that's an there's old no deer way. that's a, no he's way. an old he's at least six he could be seven in my opinion oh, nice. that that's what i'm thinking too like i i would be shocked if he came back as a five-year-old yeah he's he's basically what you call kind of a shit rocket <laughs> like we like to say. but he was a great deer i mean he probably yeah, no, he was, was definitely a pope and young wasn't he he was at least over pope and young and and i mean this deer is ancient he's probably 37 years old honestly i mean by the looks <laughs> of his face 
I don't know, man. It's it's definitely one of the oldest deer I've ever seen, like in person. And uh, I don't know, just an epic hunt. Like, I mean, we've we've talked about it before, but like, it was just an epic hunt for my first my first successful Iowa season. You know, I was by myself on public ground, and it took me two days to hone in on him. And you know, I went in and and just got it done on the ground by myself, self filming, no blind. And it was just a, I don't know, man. Like it's I. I I get speechless when I try to talk about it again. I really do. And it's, I'm, I'm thankful I have it on video. Like it's, it's never going to die now. Um, it's a memory I'll have and actually we'll be able to share, you know, and show people. And right. It's just awesome. Like he did, I think he scored, I roughed him out. He's still hanging in the garage ready for a European mount. He's still all <laughs> blood dried up and I haven't cleaned him up yet, but I think I scored him out at like one thirty one. In three eights or four eights, just just over one thirty. Yep. But uh, just a big three on his right, and uh, six on his left. Just yeah. So he's trashy, just an old warrior, trashy man. left side. Yeah. Yep. It's just he had a he had a broken brow time. Like he's missing like three four inches. Uh, my buddy who helped me drag him out that night and took pictures for me. Um, he shoots for raised hunting right here in Iowa. So. Um. He actually had trail cam pictures of him. He was hunting the same piece I was in. I didn't even know it, but I mean, we, we've talked about that in the past. But yeah. it was just cool. Like, I had no history with him, and to actually kill a deer that's that old was just—I know exactly what motivates you to, to select those deer, man. I really do. It's just—I didn't even know that that's the deer I was hunting. You know, it's just exactly, and that's. I don't know. That's that's what it, it changed the way I think about things. Like, it almost makes me not want to run cameras on public land. Like, I don't want to do the homework. I just want to go hunt and see what happens. Like, I want I want to be surprised. I want to be able to decide on the fly like that. Like, I don't want to analyze. I don't want to categorize. I just want to go out there and do what I know how to do and see what happens and decide in the moment. Well, and it's a, it's that factor that gets to is is like you don't know what the hell's out there what's going to come around the next bend or what's going to be over the next ridge. Like it's, it gives you that sense of like, you know, new territory and new and first time in and like, man, what could show up, you know? And that's, that's pretty cool. And it's, it almost like for me, it almost like resets. It's a reset button. It's like, I'm just going to go hunt, you know, whatever happens, happens, what shows up and, you know, cause cameras, they can be of a detriment, you know, cause you know, uh, deer seem like they or even mature deer or bigger deer. They seem like they elude cameras a lot too. And it's like, man, I'm not getting any shooters on my camera. There's nothing there. Well, I'm not going to go hunt that stand. And I'm sure, I mean, every hunter and I'm sure myself included has done it a ton of times where I didn't choose to go into a stand. And there's probably, uh, uh, the biggest deer in my life probably walked by that stand just because I didn't go in there because of the cameras weren't showing anything, you know? Right. Yeah, it's like it's like what if that what if that camera was you? Like what if you were sitting there right. instead of the camera telling you what has already happened? That that that's my biggest bitch about trail cameras is they only tell you what has already happened. They exactly. they do provide valuable information for sure. There's no doubt about that, but to 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 let those things decide your your strategy and how you hunt from a day-to-day basis, I think is is not worth it. I mean, that in my opinion, it's not worth it. Yep. Because there's there's always the first time that that deer walks by the camera. What if it was you sitting there instead of that deer? Like, there, there's no way you can you can 
tell me I'm wrong. Like you could have been there. It could have been you. Right. You know? Yep. So Alex, you know, Justin was talking about how he killed his buck on the ground. Have you ever experimented with that? Just going in, sitting right on the ground on a deadfall or anything and just getting right into a bedroom and, and just, you know, rattling or just seeing what happens. Have you ever done that? I haven't, but honestly, this year I've been watching a lot of the hunting public shows. Yep. And it's fired me up to give it a try next year for sure. I've been talking to my buddy Cameron about it. We're going to try to get it done for sure. And I'm super pumped to try it. Yeah. And that's something that's like a lot of people overlook because even I do too. And it's like, man, just go in there and sit on the ground, find a denfall and, you know, just get in there quiet and sit down and see what happens, you know, and it might be even something I do just because it, it's something different out of the box, like get out of your comfort zone. And then, you know, you might learn something, you know, you you won't know until you try kind of thing. So I, I agree with you, man. And when Justin did that last year, it made me really start thinking, I'm like, I, I need to try this. I need to get in and, and do this. But, you know, going back to your story there, you know, you, so you had two bucks that you were really, you know, honing on and looking forward to. So you went through October and, and, and you hunted it a couple times, like observation sets. Is that what you were, is that was the, that was the game plan? Yeah. I just hunted basically, I actually hunted the same stand the morning and or the evening and morning the next morning. Uh, it was basically just on the field edge. I could see a little bit down into one of the draws, but basically I could see more of the fields and trying to see where the deer are coming off the property or going onto the property. Um, just to see, try to get a better area of where I can kind of hone in on them a little bit more. You know, and when you sat there that, that day, you know, that morning and that night, what, uh, what did you see? Like, did you, you know, get any valuable information from any deer movement or, you know, buck activity? Like, did it, did it help you out at all? Uh, a little, a little bit. The first evening I had, I think I saw nine or 10 does. So I was able to see where they came across the road from and then down through the draw and then up out past me. So that helped me out, which I already actually had the stand I killed my buck in was just about 80 yards west of me. And that's exactly where they came from. So that also told me that that stand is in the right spot for the next time I get the right wind for it. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that helped you out. And, you know, and that, and that's like, we were just talking about the cameras, how they could be, you know, obviously they can be a help to you, but they also can be a very detrimental to you. So you doing this observation, you're almost acting as a trail cam in a way. And that gave you helpful information. Now, when was the next time you would be able to hunt it after these observation sits? Were you there for a couple of days and, and kept hunting or was it something like, I'm going to stay out of here and I want to come back in the rut? Um, the weather, like I said, it wasn't that great that weekend in October we were there. So like I said, hunted those two times, kind of moved some cameras around and then headed back home, just waiting for the rut really in colder weather. So you really wanted to hit a cold front. And so you're just kind of looking for the weather and that's when you were going to make the drive and be like, Hey, I, I got to get down there this weekend, or I'm going to take some time off work. And, or you said you had vacation. So were you trying to put your vacation around a cold front or was it just like, well, my vacation is going to happen from here to here. I'm very lucky that I get a very generous amount of days off every year. So I always take the first two weeks of November off. There's some years I'll take the last week of October off then the first two weeks. Yep. Um, so it just, it gives me a lot of time to be able to bounce back and forth when the weather's not right. I don't have to hunt, but normally in November I'm going to hunt. I'm going to be in a stand somewhere. If the weather's not right, if it's hot, it's rainy, I'm going to sit further back where I don't think I'm going to spook anything where my access in and out is really good. Um, but once that weather's right, I want to dive in and be in the good spots. 
so leading up to the rut, you know, Halloween and November 1st, what was your game plan? You knew you had to be there on a certain day and you know, you're like, I'm going to be in the stand that day and I'm going to, I'm going to ride her until she, until the wheels fall off until I, I get something on the ground. Uh, yeah, I went down. I pretty much had to wait until my last day of work, which I think was like November the 2nd. So I got down there November the 3rd and I knew I was going to be down there for at least eight days in a row. And then if I couldn't get it done, then I'd head home for a couple of days and be able to come back. Um, having that amount of time, I was really able to scout more. And on the days that we had the first two days were a really good cold front, um, saw a decent movement, but nothing only, I think I saw a couple two-year-olds and some year and a half, some bunch of does. Um, and then we had a couple of days of really bad warm weather. Um, so those days kind of use them to hang some new stands, move some cameras around, do some laundry, um, living out of hotels and always the easiest. So get some grocery shopping done, that kind of stuff. But then for the days when it started to cool down a little bit, we were in the stand from sun up to sundown. Jeez. What day did you end up killing him? Um, November the 8th. So November the 8th. So leading up to that day, you know, what were your sits like? What, what was the rut activity like? I mean, was it, was it hot, ready to go, or was it more just, you know, starting to gradually start, you see some bucks chasing and, and some grunting and all that stuff. Like what was that scenario like? The first couple of days, the movement was decent. Um, like I said, there wasn't too much of older buck activity, just younger buck. And then once that weather got warm, it really shut it down. Um, just kind of seeing a doe here and there. But then on the seventh, the weather was starting to get cold and I saw some great rut activity. I think I saw four or five bucks the morning of November 7th. I ended up seeing um, Soldier, the number one shooter that I had. He slipped past me at 20 yards and I couldn't get a shot on him. And so that kind of fired me up a little bit. But I saw a couple stud two-year-olds, bucks coming out making scrapes. I rattled two or three of them in. Um, and then tried to make a play on Soldier for that evening. I saw where he went. Um, he went to the northeast corner, so I tried to get on the north side because I figured he was betting out there trying to catch him coming back, but just didn't work out that night. But I still saw a couple does, um, one decent two-year-old as well. Uh, he really wasn't – he's just kind of out looking. He wasn't bumping him or anything, but it was starting to get fired up down there. And then on the 8th, that was when it was like the light switch hit. There was chasing <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, I, I killed mine on the 9th. Yeah, that's my favorite day, actually, to hunt. I think I've killed four and some of my biggest bucks on the ninth. That's crazy, man. It was such a difference. So coming into the, the eighth morning, what was the weather like that day? Like, were you, like, really excited because there was frost on the ground, it was really cold, or was it just kind of mild and, you know, you had a feeling, oh, it could happen today, but, it, you know, we'll see what happens. What what was your – what was the mor- morale like? It was – 27 degrees clear skies and a frosty morning and honestly like i was feeling it that morning i put all the good luck charms on the lucky socks <laughs> the lucky shirt i was just feeling it my buddy uh sent me a picture he brought his yeti cup to work and it has one of our rye stickers on it so he sent me that he said good luck and a couple people just said they were feeling good that morning and it, i was right as soon as i got in the stand before even they got light out i had deer chasing all around me so when you went in that morning, was that a hanging hunt or was that a you know a preset stand already that you had went to? That was a preset stand. It was actually the very first stand I ever hung on that property. Okay, and can you kind of explain 
what the area was like around you? Are you in a draw? Are you on a field edge? Or what would that look like? Yeah, I was in a pretty deep draw that runs um, east and west, and it kind of starts to peter out in the middle, and I was about right in the middle of the draw on a little bit of a shelf, and then we had our food plot up to the north of us. And then, like I said, the draw petered out, but it kind of was like a little peninsula that came down this steep hill of just grassy hill and it came to a peninsula and that's kind of where all the deer entered into the draw and i was just on the other side of it and it worked out really well so it it cracks daylight you got bucks chasing does take us through the moments leading up to ultimately what you know that buck showing up and you getting an arrow in him yeah it finally got light so i could see who was chasing around and it was a little two-year-old eight-pointer and I think a little four-point. And they were chasing a doe up in the little grassy hill that I was talking about. And then all of a sudden, this bigger buck came out. And I believe it was the buck that I shot, which we nicknamed him Soldier. He just His rack looked similar, but I only got a quick glimpse of him because he took that doe from that year and a half, that two and a half. And they just stood there watching him chase her. And he took her actually off the property into the neighbor's. And I was like, dang, he's coming away. But I knew that if I just stayed there all day long, there's a good chance he was going to come back. And a short while later, I hit the rattling horns, and I think he came strolling through about a half hour later on the other side of the ridge. And he actually started going away from me, and I hit the grunt call, and he stopped, stared, but then started going a little bit. And I had my rattling horns hanging from my camera arm, and I just turned around and slapped them so they rattled off each other, and that totally got his attention. He just turned right around and came stood right in the bottom of the creek about 45 yards away and came right up the hill, made a scrape 15 yards in front of me, turned broadside, and I was able to let him have it. He ran right down where he was standing in the creek. He tipped over. That's crazy, man. So what time of day was that? Was that mid-morning, mid-afternoon? What, like you said you were going to be in there all day. What what time was it? It Actually, he came back pretty quick. I shot him at 9 o'clock or 9.15. Okay. So after he had left, you know, with that doe, he was that buck, right, that went across yep. to the neighbors, you were saying? So after he left at that doe, how long was it until he came back? Uh, it was probably hour and a half. Okay. So then you saw him cruising. So either he went over the, with that doe, maybe bred her, or, you know, ran into a bigger buck and he got kicked off. So And then he decided to come back and, and come through this draw and looking for another deer and or another doe anyway, or a hot doe. And, you know, and the way you were trying to work them and everything and with the, with the antlers and, and the grunt call and everything, like that's, that's cool. Like to see that and really be able to, to talk to a, to an animal and, and really work them like that and get them to come into 15 yards like that. That's, I mean, that's, that's more rewarding in a way because to me anyway, because you know, you're doing a lot of things. You're not just sitting there and a deer comes right by you and you, you're able to, to get after them. It takes a little bit of skill to, to do that stuff. And that's, what's cool about it. And it happened to me this year in Michigan as well. When I had a, I had one of my, you know, target bucks come out in the beans and with, you know, a couple of grunts and a couple, uh, you know, bleat calls. I mean, he came on a rope right to me and I got that all on camera and everything. And that was really cool to be able to do that, you know, and know that, what you've learned and what you've practiced really works. So, and you also got to catch the deer on the right time too, in the right attitude, like that deer, obviously he might've went up there, like I said, and got his butt kicked. And now he, you know, or he kicked someone else's butt and he hears somebody down there rattling or another fight happening. He's got to go investigate. So that's really cool how that happened. 
Yeah, it's it's truly like you said. It's all about their mood they're in. If they're ready to fight, they're coming into horns every time. If they don't want to, there's a lot of deer that just they seem like they have a personality that they don't like to fight. And rattling and calling never works to them. Um, but yeah, tr- trust me, November is my favorite time when I can smash those horns together. It is by far my favorite thing to do while deer <laughs> hunting. <laughs> I can finally be loud and just hammer those things together. Yep, wake the woods up, man. And like you said about the attitude you know, the deer, Justin and I've talked about it a lot on the podcast and about how deer to me are like a lot like humans and you just never know. I mean, they're all different attitude. None of them are not really the same. You know, you never know there's subordinate deer and then there's very aggressive deer and it's just, you know, you might catch them on a bad day, you know, or catch them on a good day and you just never know. And it's always good to be able to to have those techniques with the calls and, and everything and, and really try to work them. So mm-hmm. can you describe him? Like what was he, you know, how many points did he have? How big was he? What do you think his age was? Uh, I actually got him on trail camera four days before I shot him. I thought he was just the mainframe 10 with a flyer off his G2, but he ended up being, uh, he had 13 total points. He was an eight by five. Uh, just beautiful, perfect five by side on one side, and the other side is just pretty gnarly. Like I said, he's got eight points. He's got a two, three inch kicker coming off his G2. He's got splits coming off the back of his brow tine. Um, he's got a little G6, five, um, and then just super long brow tines. I believe he was four and a half. Um, he's just very nice deer. Yeah. Did you ever put a tape to him? Yeah, I put uh, antler tape. On him, I haven't got to officially score him yet, but antler tape put him at uh, 151 in four ace. Okay. A great deer. I mean, perfect. That was, I mean, a lot of people would die to get, to, to get an opportunity at a buck like that. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, I was very content with him. Like I said, after the whole season I had of not knowing where I was going to be hunting, and I really like to have more of a game plan going into the season and didn't really have that this year. So it was a very rewarding deer. That's cool. You know, and like, exactly like you said, you know, you lost or, you know, you walked out of a lease, you found one late, you know, put up some cameras, hunted it a couple times, didn't really have a lot of time to figure it out, but, you know, did the best of what you could and you go in there and you're able to, to take a deer like that. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's a, that's a really cool story in itself. Did you, did were you able to film that deer then too, that whole hunt? Yep, I got it all on film. Uh, that's my first buck on film and my first self-film buck kill, so I was happy on that, too. It came out pretty decent. Um, we have it on YouTube at under the Rise Hunt. Um, it's segment three, if anyone wants to check it out. Cool. Very cool. Now, you know, fast-forwarding a little bit, you have another lease in Ohio as well, right? Uh, I did. I only have one right now. Okay. Um, that's all I have at the moment. I've had a couple, but okay, kind of bounced so- around a little bit. So you, you were able to take another deer in January, right? Um, that was, oh yeah, that was the 2017, 2018 season in Ohio. Oh, that, okay. So that was the year before I got yep, you. That was on the old lease. Okay. So, so what happened with that deer? Cause that was kind of a cool story as well. Yeah, that was a deer. I uh, nicknamed short G2. He's always had really short G2s and they kind of like twisted at the end. I had three years history with this deer. Um, always one that kind of caught my eye, but I never really had him on the property all that much. I would normally get picture of him once, twice a month, but he's a deer that once the late season came in January, he always seemed to be there almost every day. So going into the season, I actually had two shooters in mind. One was named Stretch and the other one, G2. I hunted Stretch really all season long because I had that deer on the property a lot more. Um, 
And I got, I ended up getting close to him recording his trail cameras. I think we crossed paths like seven times throughout November. And wow. Just couldn't get it done on him. Um, but like going into the late season into December, my goal was because I had stretched there a lot during December. Um, my goal was to hit a cold front and get down and get after him. Um, but unfortunately, we only had one cold front that weekend and I had to go to a funeral. So I wasn't able to make it down there. But I went down the next weekend, um, checked some cameras, got a little bit of food out for him. And Stretch was still there. Um, I didn't get any pictures of short G2, but I knew I was going down as soon as I was going to get a super cold front. I was going to head down for as long as it was going to take. So coming into New Year's uh, weekend, it was going to get frigid cold down there. You're talking zero degree temperatures in the mornings. It was like negative nine. Uh, so I went down there for, I had nine days if I needed it. So I went down there all by myself. Um, the landowner actually had a mobile home on the property that he let me stay in. Uh, didn't have any cell service, no TVs, slept on an air mattress. So <laughs> First world problems. A bit, <laughs> I was, whatever it was going to take to get one on the ground that year, I was doing it. So I had to drive into town to get to text anybody or to call my fiance. Um, I'd go to dinner and spend like two hours at night just so I could talk to some human beings. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the most fun trips I've ever had. Um, I got down there, checked the cameras, like got a little bit more food out, and I had two spots set up, one on each side of the property. I had a tree stand set up and a ground blind set up, and I checked the cameras, and short G2 was there, um, I think December the 28th, so I knew going into January he was going to be there, and it was game on for that week. So I didn't hunt the first night, kind of just got everything set up, scouted from the road a little bit. Um, next day was New Year's Eve. I went in there and uh, I went to the tree stand set up and actually passed a really nice six by five, three-year-old that was probably 135-ish, but just one of those deer that had so much potential, I couldn't shoot him. And after that, I kind of started getting more pictures of short G2 over by the ground blind spot and Next three nights in a row, I sat it out for him, and the last night he came in, he actually, a shed buck came in first, and he was eating around, and kept looking back, and I'm like, all right, something's good is with this shed buck, so I was videotaping him, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of the window, I saw a short G2 come in, and he's just, he was another stud, mainframe 10-pointer, about 150 inches, he broke off about three inches of brow, so he went 147, um, it was so cold though that any movement, if you, even if you breathe, it was loud. <laughs> Something <laughs> was making noise. So I yeah. knew that shooting this deer, drawing back my bow was going to be an issue. Um, he got into 20 yards and I started to draw back on him and the chair squeaked, my bow creaked and he took off running. And, but I was lucky he stopped at about 50, 55 and I was able to raise up on him a little bit and let him have it. And I hit him a touch back. But he was courting away. I still gave him overnight, but I went in the next morning. He didn't even go 100 yards. That's awesome, man. That's a really cool story. And, you know, that was in January. And I've had two of the best hunts I've ever been on in January. I've killed two of the bigger bucks that I've ever killed in Missouri, one on January 13th and one on January 14th the following year. And as long as you've got the food and you can stick it out, you know, with the cold, man, it, it can be some of the most fun hunts that you know you could be a part of and I can tell you the the second buck I killed it was frigid cold I was in a tree stand and it was just like so dull it was a dull cold like 
I mean, I'm like dancing a jig up in the stand just to like try to stay warm, you know, and I've got hand warmers all over me. And I was, I was actually hunting a transition area right on the edge of bedding going to food. And I had an encounter with this buck that I ended up shooting two nights prior before on the food source. Uh, but he was coming out like right at last light and I wanted to get in a little farther and we went in there and he ended up showing up about 20 minutes before day or, you know, you closing time basically you know last last light and and I shot him at like 23 yards something like that and he ran about 16 yards and died so that was that was really cool I really like January hunts and late season hunts if you've got the the right scenario to do it the cold and, and the food or you know or getting close to bedding as well so that's it's cool. so deadly when you got the cold and the food it's a, it is some of the best deer movement you'll see all year long yeah it really is so you know looking towards the future what are your plans this year do you still have the lease that you killed on this last year are you going to go forward with that lease i do i still have it um i haven't really given the landowner a complete answer yet because after i killed my buck went back down there late season just kind of seeing what was still going on on the property and ran into the neighbor who is uh leasing to an outfitter and they're killing a lot of deer there and they shot i saw like i said in november i saw a really nice two-year-old 10-pointer and they ended up taking him out so kind of using this property as a backup plan but i'm kind of looking at something new right now i may jump over to kentucky and talk to a buddy about a piece of property there or trying to find something back in ohio i really like ohio Um, i really like their laws and their rules and how their season dates play i like pretty it's not too terrible to drive it's about five hours to the areas that i go so i can run down check trail cameras and run back in the same day if i have to which i do that a lot yep, um that's nice but then, otherwise just kind of hunting in michigan with some friends and family just having fun hunting with my fiance well sweet man awesome i mean justin you got anything else any questions any any lasting thoughts no i'm just happy to hear somebody else that likes to do it the hard way like me no it's it's uh i mean i think you you understand more than more than anybody else and just as much as i do that it's just so much more rewarding i mean whether you want to play the least game or do the public thing i mean it's there's, there's options out there that do produce and it's it can produce well you know and consistently if that matters so um think for anybody listening like don't get discouraged just because you don't feel like you have a place to go just do some homework invest some time and it can pay off i mean there's just another great example of of that kind of success yeah it really is you know and like i said before and like justin just said not having a place to go don't think it's counted out you know just try to find a spot and and like you said, Alex, you know, you had you had public land already set to go, you know, and I'm sure you had some pretty cool spots and pretty good spots and, you know, picked out and everything and, you know, just get in there, grind it out and and uh, see what you can find. And look at you. You, you, you worked a, a big old Midwest uh, mature, mature buck and got him on the ground. That's pretty cool, man. Thank you. Well, cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna cut you loose here. I appreciate you coming on, man, and and talking about this. And it's always, it's always fun to talk to a fellow Michigander. And and uh, as Justin, he's not a Michigander. He's we would just talked about this before recording. Is that he's basically from Michigan because he's from New York. So, right, basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, cool, man. I appreciate you coming on, like I said, and you know, maybe we could do this again for sure. Yeah, I appreciate you guys reaching out to me, having me on, and I wish you guys the best of luck uh, during turkey season and deer season this year. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Yeah, and before we do end up on this, could you kind of remind everybody, too, like where to see all your content and everything that you're doing as well? Yeah, you can check me out on Instagram at alex.nadolski. It's A-L-E-X dot N-A-D-O-L-S-K-I. Or you can watch our hunts, um, Instagram, the rise underscore hunt, and YouTube, the rise underscore hunt. And we also have the rise um, bow hunting Facebook page and the rise hunt.com. You can get some hats, shirts, and check out all of our videos. We did a segment series this year, so we put out videos every two weeks um, throughout the season, kind of gave each hunter 100 days to hunt. It's a pretty cool series. If you guys want to check it out, you'll see the highs and lows. We were grinding it out um, through the end of the season. It was a lot of fun to do with those guys. Awesome, man. Well, again, thank you for coming on, and, and good luck this next year. Thanks, guys.